We've been talking about the subject of unbelief. Now, you might think that's a negative subject, uh, but we're dealing with it in a positive way. Amen. Amen. We want to find out what unbelief is. And then we want to overcome unbelief. And we want to eradicate unbelief. Amen. We want to eliminate unbelief in our own hearts and minds and lives and speech. Because we've discovered that unbelief is the great thief. It's the thing that robs people of their blessings. We taught and established that, you know, the thing that keeps people out of heaven is none other than unbelief. And the thing that keeps Christians out of the blessings of God is nothing else but unbelief. So many times people will think, well, you know, the thing that's holding me back is my, uh, uh, my physical debility, my weakness, the, the disease here, or, or my lack of money, my lack of education, my this, my that. But that's really not what hold, what's holding people back. The thing that's really actually holding people back is their lack of faith, their doubt, their unbelief. That's what's holding them back. Because there is no problem too hard for God. There's no need too great that God can't supply it. There's no sickness or no debility too, too serious or too far gone that God can't heal it. But what can God do for a person that won't believe him? You see, there's a limitation there. Unbelief actually limits God in working on the behalf of his people. That's a serious thing, isn't it? That, that's quite a statement. So if there's no disease that God can't heal, there's no problem that God can't solve, there's no need that God can't provide, if what? If you believe. All things are possible to who? Those that believe. Those that believe. But what if you don't believe? Well, there's things that's impossible to you. There's things that won't happen for you if you don't believe. So we've realized what a serious threat and what a, a serious enemy unbelief is to us. And so we're in the process of identifying it so that we can eradicate it. Amen. Amen. Eliminate it from our lives. Go with me again to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, if you would. Let's look at our text here. 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is talking about the Israelites, the first generation of Israel that was delivered out of Egypt. And the Bible said in verse 5, 1 Corinthians 10, 5, but with many of them, those Israelites, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things. He also mentioned idolatry, fornication, tempting Christ, murmuring, and in verse 11, all these things happened unto them for examples, or we could say examples, or types, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. He went on to say, There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God's faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So we saw uh, and, and begin studying that these Israelites uh, tempted God with their unbelief. We looked at Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4, Numbers uh, 14, different places, and about how that they doubted God 
time after time after time after time. When they should have been believing, they kept doubting. When they had every reason to believe and they ex ex had experienced the miracles and the glory and power of God, they still continued to doubt time after time, time after time. And finally, in Numbers 14, you'll see at Kadesh Barnea uh, that they uh, tempted God with their unbelief for the tenth time. The Lord said, now these ten times they've tempted me. How long will it be before they believe me? And he was angry with them. And he told them, he said, it's going to be just like you've said, you're going to die in the wilderness. And their unbelief was judged. How many of the unbelief is a serious thing? Now, this is not something that they just, you know, they just uh, wavered a little bit one day and, and got disqualified from going into the blessings of God. No, we're talking about a mentality, a heart, a way of life that they persisted in time after time after time after time after time after time and eventually uh, they were judged because of their unbelief. And they kept saying that they're going to die in the wilderness and what happened to them? It happened to them just exactly what they had been confessing and saying. They died in the wilderness. How many know Mark eleven twenty three works? If you believe something in your heart and you say it with your mouth consistently, you're going to have what you say. If it's bad, if it's good, if it's somewhere in between, you're going to have what you say. It works for everybody. Sinners, saved, don't care what denomination, don't care whether you claim to believe the faith message or not, Mark 11:23 is working for you right now. Has been and is and will work for you or against you, depending on what you decide to say, what you decide to believe. And so we saw that the Israelites, through their unbelief, tempted God those ten times. And so what we wanted to do was go back and study and look at each one of these ten situations so that we could identify what unbelief is to make sure that we don't operate in it. These are examples, but not examples to follow. Examples not to follow. Examples don't be like this, is what God is saying. Well, we studied the first one, was the Israelites, the situation of the Israelites at the Red Sea in Exodus 14. And we saw uh, that they were moved by what they saw. We saw that they got afraid. We saw that they cried out in unbelief. They were sarcastic. They looked back and said, oh, I wish we could have gone back to Egypt. And they started confessing we're going to die out in the wilderness. So we learned some characteristics of unbelief. And again, I'm just reviewing. We taught on all this earlier. But here's some characteristics of unbelief. First of all, unbelief is moved by sight. It's moved by what it sees and by what it feels and what it hears more than by what God said. It's moved more by its, what it can sense with the natural senses than by what God said. Also, we saw that unbelief fears. Unbelief is afraid. Unbelief is scared. Unbelief act, uh, also panics. We also saw that unbelief is negative. It's negative. It always sees the bad thing, and it always emphasizes the dark side. And it's negative, and included in that negativism is sarcasm. It's sarcastic. Remember they said, why did you bring us out here to die? Is it because there are no graves in Egypt? sarcastic. And we also saw that unbelief looks back. Unbelief looks back. Oh, you know, why didn't you leave us in Egypt? 
It was good back there in Egypt. And we talked about that faith looks forward. Doubt looks back. Important lesson there. And we went on to see in, in the second situation here in Exodus 15 at the waters of Marah. Marah means bitter. You know, when they, when they did go through the Red Sea, even though they doubted God, God in his mercy delivered them. And Pharaoh and all his hosts were drowned in the Red Sea. And, of course, you know, boy, they had a shouting time after that. Been delivered from all their enemies. They sang, they shouted, Miriam prophesied, and they played the timbrels. And that, that victory lasted for three days. They had victory for three days. They traveled three days, and when they didn't have any water, they all fell back into the same old stuff again, started murmuring, started complaining, started griping, and began to blame Moses. Moses, what are we going to drink? And we saw some other characteristics of unbelief. Are you keeping your list now? We'll be going over some of these. You'll see these things crop up again and again as we go through our study. But before it's all over with, make sure you've got a good list of these things. Here's another thing that unbelief does. Unbelief gripes and complains. How many times we see it mentioned that they murmured? Unbelief uh, gripes and complains. You understand that faith doesn't gripe. Faith is not, is not a griper. Faith is not a complainer. Faith gives thanks. Doubt gripes and complains. Can you see that? And also we saw that doubt and unbelief puts pressure on people. They put pressure on Moses. They said, Moses, what are we going to drink? And they panicked and they began to put pressure on him. It's your fault. You brought us out here. Where's the water? I'm thirsty. My kids are thirsty. What are you going to do about it? Just like Moses could provide water in the desert. Moses is not God. Right? And we said unbelief will put pressure on people. Try to make you solve my problem. But not faith. Faith puts no pressure on people. When you're in faith, you don't put pressure on people. You trust in God. Amen? If people don't act like they're going to help you, that doesn't bother you that much. Because your faith wasn't in them anyway. Your faith's in God. Amen. 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 Now you can tell, you, you can tell where people's faith is at. You, you see a lot of times, young Christians, that if somebody they respect, if they sin and mess up and fall, then they backslide too. You ever seen that? Where if a leader or say a pastor or somebody, if they got in sin and messed up, you see half the church backslide, not go to church anywhere anymore. Well, see, that showed they didn't have much relationship with God to begin with. Because just because a man failed you, that's no sign God failed you. Amen. Is that right? And, and who's our faith in? Not just, not just people. Now, you, you, know, you know, you need to show faith in people, show that you believe in people, but you shouldn't be overly surprised and overwhelmed if a person lets you down. Because people can let you down. E even the ones you thought were, you know, fail-proof. Is that right? Even the best of human beings can, can let you down. But if your faith's in God, you're still going to be standing on a solid foundation no matter who let you down or what they do. You understand? You know, have you ever thought about it? What if, uh, what if Brother Hagin backslid? You know, I sure don't expect it. 
But, but what, what if he did? What if Brother Hagin just completely backslid uh, and Pastor Hagin backslid and all the leaders around here just completely backslid and the people that you know, you know, how would that affect you? Would you still believe the same thing or not? Good question, isn't it? Now, there's no need in us to conjecture in a bunch about it because we don't know exactly what you do unless it happens. But reality is that so many times people's faith is not just in God. Their faith is really more in people than they think. And whatever people do or don't do greatly affects, the, you know, the condition of their faith. But our faith needs to be in the Word of God. Our faith needs to be in God Himself. You know, I know that Brother Hagin has endeavored to build this ministry on the Word. I know he has. I, I've talked with him about it. We, we were talking about this healing school one time some years ago. And he said this to me and, and, and to uh, uh, another person that was working here in the healing school. He said, he said, if this thing can't, he's talking about healing school and some other things. He said, if this thing can't carry on without me, I'd just soon shut it down right now. Because I don't want something just built on me. And we got to talking about, you know, works that had thrived as long as the founder of it was there. But then when they passed off the scene, then nobody seemed to have it enough in their soul to carry it, you see. But that won't happen with this. You understand? Now, you know, we see that, that people have got the Spirit of God in them and the Word of God in them, and their faith is based on the Word, not just on a person. Amen. And, and you'll see it carried on and on and on when there's a situation like that. And he asked some of us, he was talking about healing school, you know, well, do y'all have it? And I spoke up, I said, yeah, I got healing school in my heart. Amen. I got it. Amen. 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 And I do, and I have. Amen. And I, you know, and he, he, of course, he's been busy doing other things, and he can't do everything. And, uh, but uh, I've seen, you know, it's amazing, but, but even though Brother Hayden wasn't teaching the healing school anymore in the afternoon, we still saw people get healed. And we realized, hey, Jesus is the healer after all. Is that right? Amen. No matter who's doing the teaching or preaching or laying on of hands, Jesus is still a healer. And healing still happens. Happens right and left, right and left. Glory to God. Is that right? Who's our faith based on? What's our faith based in, you see? Doubt and unbelief will gripe and complain. Doubt and unbelief puts pressure on people, you see. Doubt and unbelief is looking to people instead of looking to God. Now, one thing that we didn't get into a lot, and we'll just go ahead and look at our next section here because this, uh, this all goes together. Our third uh, case that we see them tempting God is in Exodus 16. Exodus 16. Go ahead and turn there if you would. These, these teachings are so, so much in them and so rich here that we could spend a lot of time with these, but you just believe God with me for us to have utterance the way we need to. Amen. Exodus 16, we begin in verse 1. No, I can't get to that yet. Can't get to that. Got to back up. Back up chapter 15 where we were. Uh, this, this is that second instance of the waters of Marah. You remember that? I was just talking about it. 
And uh, notice that after that they murmured and they put pressure on Moses and said, what are we going to drink up there in verse 24? And Moses prayed and cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw the tree in the water, and the water, Marah means bitter, but the water became sweet. And the Lord showed him a tree. Praise God. Anything in the redemptive work about a tree? Yeah, yeah, there's a cross. The Bible said the Lord was, you know, hung on a tree. But when you take the, what happened on that tree and you apply that to the bitter waters of the world, it'll make them sweet. It'll bring sweetness out of bitterness. But now notice... He proved, he proved them there. He gave them an ordinance. And in verse 26, the latter part of it, he said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Yes. How many believe that? You claim that? Yes. He's my Lord. He's the Lord that heals me. But now notice this. And in verse 27, verse 27, and they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and three score and 10 palm trees. And they encamped there by the waters. Notice, after Marah came Elam. Preachers, are you listening? After Marah was Elam. <laughs> uh, did you notice that God brought Israel out of Egypt? And oh, there was great celebration. Man, they got new robes on. They got money in their pockets. They're healed. They're free. But then after that came Pharaoh charging down on their neck. Is that right? And then after they cried and got in doubt and unbelief, then there was a great deliverance. And then they all shouted and sang and praised God and prophesied and played the timbrels. And then three days later, they're all griping and complaining again. No water to drink. And God straightened that out. And then Elam. How many know in life there will be trials? And there'll be times of blessing and refreshing. Is that right? Now, you may not like that particularly, but I'm telling you, if you've lived very long, you know <laughs> that uh, that's life. There'll be times when your faith will be tested. And then there'll be times of respite. Times of relief. Times of rest. There's Mara, where the waters are bitter. It's hard to drink it. Can't drink it. But God will work a miracle if you just believe Him. And He'll get you through it. And on the other side of Marah is Elam. Elam. Palm trees. Eight. You know how many wells of water? Twelve. That's right. Twelve wells of water. Twelve wells of water? Now, how many know that this is kind of unusual? They're in the wilderness. Do you understand that? They're in the middle of the desert. And all at once, here's Elam. Glory to God. You got water to bathe in. You got water to drink. You got palm tree shade. I mean, Elam. But then guess what happened after Elam? <laughs> How many get in the picture here? You got your Maras and you got your Elams. Amen. Now, now, you may not like that. You may say, well, I'm confessing all Elams. I'm just confessing that I have Elams all the way the rest of my life. Well, brother, sister, I don't mean to bother you and burst your bubble, but there are going to be some Maras. All right? 
Being a faith person doesn't guarantee that you'll never have a marrow. Being a faith person guarantees that you'll come through the marrows victoriously and go on and get to the Elams. <laughs> Can you see that? Oh, thank God. I, you know, I've seen that in, in my life just in the past, you know, uh, several years. How that, you know, you might have a time where it's kind of tough. You've got to stick it out. You've got to believe God. You've got to hang in there. But then you have a breakthrough, and oh, there's the blessings. There's the blessings. There's the blessings. And you, just, you think you might go sail, sail along like that for, from then on. But then here comes a time of testing, a time of got to use your faith. How many understand you're going to always have to believe God? You're going to always have to use your faith. There's never going to come a time where you're just going to coast for the rest of your life and not have to use your faith. You're always going to have to use your faith. But if you will, you'll always come through the marrows of life and you'll be blessed with many, many elums along the way. Can you say amen? Now, in verse 1 of chapter 16, they took their journey from Elam. How many know eventually you, you leave Elam and God's leading you on to something else? Is that right? How many know, where are they headed? Supposed to be headed. Canaan's land, promised land. Is that right? Where'd they have to go through to get to, to Canaan's land, though? The desert called the wilderness. And it wasn't called the wilderness for nothing. Right? It's barren. It's hot, it's dry, no water, no food, do anything. You know what I'm saying. How many understand Jesus' ministry? When, he, when the Holy Ghost came on him at the River Jordan, he had a great ministry ahead of him by the power of the Spirit. Is that right? But where did he go first? Wilderness. Is that right? Forty days and forty nights of the most intense, excruciating temptation anybody has ever undergone. That was marrow. That was bitter, wasn't it? Oh, but after those 40 days and nights of not succumbing, of not yielding, of overcoming every temptation, he came out in the power of the Spirit, the Bible says. And then there was this powerful ministry of teaching and preaching and healing and deliverance and miracles. But that was after, after the wilderness temptation. Now, you don't want to try to fabricate too much from those things and try, you know, sometimes people bless their hearts, they claim that they live in the wilderness all the time. They never have any Elams to hear them talk about it. But if you believe God, you have Elams. Amen. Yeah, you'll go through some Maras, but you'll come out of the Mara. You don't stay in Mara all your life. You come out, you go through. You don't just stay. Yeah, you might be tempted. You might be tempted severely. You might be tested severely, but that's not one long continuous thing all of your life you come out of how many of the Bible says the devil left him for a season there's Elam respite relief is that right can you see some things here there's some principles here but anyway they, they've left Elam you know there's a lot of time lounging around there in the hammocks under the palm trees drinking water out of all the wells somebody said why'd they leave Why'd they leave? You know why they left? The cloud moved. Remember the cloud? There, there was a, 
uh, a pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. See the cloud in daytime and the fire at night. And when the cloud stayed, they stayed. When the cloud moved, they moved. Sometimes the cloud stayed in the same place for weeks at a time or months at a time. And then sometimes it only stayed for a day. First thing you did when you got up in the morning, looked out your tent door, you looked for that cloud. Where's the cloud at? If it's right where it was the night before, well, you, you know, you might stay there that day. If the cloud's moving, you got to start breaking the tent down, getting ready to move. Now, what's that typical of? That's typical of the leading and guidance and direction of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Now, one reason I bring this up is because this gives you some insight. Now, when they came to Marah, who led them to Mara? Hmm? The cloud. God. Is that right? Some of you act like, you, like I'm asking trick questions here or something. <laughs> no. They came. We, we can see that pillar of cloud came, came from the front of the Israelites and stood between the Israelites and the Egyptians when the Egyptians were tra chasing them uh, through the Red Sea. You remember that? And that pillar of cloud uh, by day and fire by night was leading them all the time. So when they, when, when they went from the other side of the Red Sea to uh, Marah, who led them there? The cloud, God did. Is that right? But who did they talk against when they didn't have any water? Moses, like Moses led them there. Now you might say, you know, would God lead you somewhere where there's no water? Oh, y'all are quiet today. <laughs> God wouldn't lead you somewhere where the water is bitter and you can't drink it. Would he? He did. I said he did. Why in the world would he do that? Why would he do something like that? To give you an opportunity to believe and to give him an opportunity to do some miracles. I don't know God's a miracle working God. He enjoys working miracles. Well, if you could work, if you could work them, don't you, wouldn't you enjoy it? Oh, come on, guys, wake up. What, 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 where y'all let out there? Huh? If you, if you could do what God can do, wouldn't you get a kick out of it? Huh? If you could make, I, now I realize God can use us, but in the strictest sense of the word, we cannot produce miracles. We cannot, pro, you know, we can be a vessel that God could work through, but we're not the source of it. We don't actually do it ourselves in our own power. But if you could, could open blind eyes, if you could open deaf ears, if you could uh, change, you know, suspend natural laws and do things, would you enjoy doing it? I would. There's no question about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It'd be great, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great? Oh, yeah. Sounds like fun to me. You know, opening rocks up and making water gush out of them. Have people check, say, there's no water here. And you, you're, you're sitting on the throne thinking, oh, yeah, really? What's this? Water spurts out everywhere. There's nothing to eat around here. Oh, really? What's this? Rains out of the sky. Bread out of the... How many think that'd be fun, you know? Would that be fun? 
Oh, yeah. There's nowhere to go. The, the Red Sea's in front. Pharaoh's in back. There's nowhere to go. God says, oh, yeah, there's plenty of places to go. Yeah, but the Red Sea's in front. No problem. Split it open. Go across there. I think God enjoys things like this. But let me know that uh, before you have a miracle, again and again, you have the situation of an impossible situation. That is from our perspective, you see. <laughs> so when people are hollering, oh, I want miracles in my life. What, what, what are you saying? What, what are you saying? You want impossible situations in your life where you can't see any way out. No way over or under or around. God's got to move or you're sunk. <laughs> would God lead you to where you're closed in by the Red Sea in the front and the Pharaoh in the back? He did. Would he lead you to a place where there's no water and nothing to eat? He did. I said he did. Why? You know, Peter wrote in his epistles, particularly in, in, in the first one there, about the trial of our faith. You remember that? He said, the trial of your faith being more precious than of gold. Yeah. That after, you know, after your faith is tried, it might come forth and shine like gold. We talked here a whole week or so, some months back, about the trial of your faith. Your faith being tried. I'm firmly convinced that one of the main reasons you and I are down here on earth right now is that we're in faith camp. This is Faith Training Center. I don't mean Rhema. I mean the world, the planet. You might say, why, you know, why did God leave all these demons around? Why, you know, why didn't God just eradicate all this stuff? Why do we have to put up with it? Why? Why did God even put a... A, a, a tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden so that he had to tell them, don't mess with it. So that they would be tempted and bothered with it. I mean, why did he even have to put the thing in there to begin with? Big questions, huh? Well, it's as simple as this. The way God judges men and women as to what's a good man, what's a, uh, not a good man, what's a worthy individual, what's not a worthy individual, is by our faith. And you can't have faith unless you've got a choice to doubt. And you can't truly obey unless you have a choice to disobey. You understand? You've got to have an option. If you don't have an option, there can't be the real article. If it looks like what God said is true, and if it feels like what God said is true, then you're not tempted to doubt him. Did you hear me? It look, I mean, everything's in agreement with what he said. But when everything is in disagreement with what he said, and it looks like what he said is not true, and it feels like what he said is not true, and your experience seems to tell you that what he said can't be true, now we see if you have faith or not. Now we see. Now we see. Can you see this? Did you know that every day of your life is a challenge to your faith? Every situation that you'll encounter through every day is a challenge to your faith. 
And if, I tell you, it'll help you immensely if you will take that concept and realize that everything that's happening through the day is checking my faith out, is checking my level of faith. And what the enemy is endeavoring to do is to get me to doubt, to get me to, to disbelieve. And you need to take the stance is, you know, no matter what happens, you need to take the stance that you respond, hey, devil, it takes more than that to make me doubt God. No, sir. Because the weaker you are spiritually, the quicker you doubt. You understand? The stronger you are spiritually, the more it takes to, to move you and cause you to waver. Oh, friend, I, I trust you get the spirit of what we're talking about. I'm doing my best to express it, but it seems like, you know, there's some, there's some things there not quite yet. Every day is a challenge to your faith. How is unbelief exhibited? We've already seen some things. Unbelief gets scared. That's right. So if something happens and you get scared and panic, what just happened? Unbelief. You failed the test. Oh, that's good. That's good. Is that right? Yes. Unbelief gripes and complains hmm? and looks back and is negative and sarcastic. So if something happens and you get to looking back longing for yesterday and wanting to go back, you fail the test. If you get to talking negative and sarcastic, you fail the test. If you get to griping and complaining about your situation, you fail the test. Friend, if you can keep this mentality with you day in, day out, and realize what's actually going on around about you, it'll help you in the worst, darkest situations to hold up your head and say, I refuse to doubt. I refuse to. I ref My faith is being tried here, but I'm passing the test. I'm not going to doubt. I'm not going to gripe. I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to look back. I'm going to look up. I'm going to expect, and God's going to move like he always does. You have that spirit of faith about you, that's the way you'll talk. That's the way you'll think. Every day, every day. And I, when I say every day, I mean in every situation. I don't just mean healing. I mean everything. How many understand that faith is applicable to absolutely 100% of everything we touch and have to do with? How many know you can get bills? And get depressed. Well, you failed a test. Is that right? You, the moment you got depressed, you failed a test. You start griping about your bills, you failed a test. Is that right? How many of you can be having troubles with a person in a relationship? And you get upset and get discouraged and just get ready to throw in the towel and say, What's the use? What's happening? You failed a test. Anybody ever failed a test in here? <laughs> but then people don't understand. They're failing tests right and left and then wondering why they don't have more victory in their life and why they're not receiving more. Well, no, see, unbelief's the thief. You're failing the test, it's going to cost you. You won't get the wisdom. You won't get the direction. You won't get the blessing. You won't get the help. You won't get the strength. You won't get the light. Because these things are gotten and appropriated by faith. 
And if you're wallowing around in unbelief and self-pity and doubt and fear and et cetera, et cetera, you're going to be missing the blessings. They're going to be passing you by. Can you see that? I said to you, every day, every day is a challenge to your faith. From the time you open your eyes in the morning until the time you lay down at night, everything, everything is checking your faith. If you deal with everything in faith, you'll always stay positive. You'll always expect the best. You'll always talk the word. Amen? Amen. You'll talk more about what God said than about what you're seeing or feeling. You'll, you'll always stay positive. Amen. Is that right? Amen. In everything. If you have a flat and you're two hours late for an appointment, you won't get out and kick the car. Or as some carnal Christians do, cuss. Oh, yeah, some people do a lot of things when nobody's around. Do you hear me? You won't talk negative. You won't talk down. You'll be on the positive. You'll get out. You'll look at it. You'll go, well, praise God, the, the, the rim's still good. Wheel's still good. Car didn't get hurt. I didn't, I didn't wreck. Praise God. I'm okay. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Is that right? Go back and look in the trunk. Well, praise God. My spare is good. All I got to do is a little, little bit of elbow grease here and we'll be back on the road. Thank you, Lord. Well, look here. Lug nuts are not rusted up. They're not froze up. Praise God. This fits good. Yeah, this is tight. Yeah, we're ready to go. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. And listen to this. And listen to this. This is food for thought. And besides this, Lord, for all I know, this could have saved me having a wreck down the road. This 30-minute delay could have caused me to miss an out-of-control truck. Just a possibility. Sometimes things that we think are inconveniences can be lifesavers. I didn't say all the time. Sometimes. Sometimes. If you're praying and believing God to protect you and believing God to guide you, He's doing things all the time that you don't know about. I guarantee you that all of us would break out in a cold sweat if God could show us how many tragedies He's caught, spared us just over the last year or two. When we saw how close we came to this or that and what he had to do and how he protected, how he kept, you know, we would be shouting and praising God. You understand? Well, there's a whole lot of things we never know. You know? Sometimes, uh, I know a while back, this has been a few years ago, and th this doesn't happen very often. Kind of a rare thing. But my wife and I are going to get in the car and go somewhere, kind of a, you know, a, a little short trip. And we're all packed up and ready to go. And uh, I, I've, I've always tried to make you to practice not to move too fast on stuff. Now, that irritates some people. Some people call, thinks, I'm, thinks I'm a slow poke. <laughs> but uh, that's all right. I don't miss it as, some people, as much as some people do either. I didn't say I never miss it, but I don't miss it as much as some people do. And... Uh, and, and I don't know, I always try to check my heart. Check my heart all the time about everything, you know. Don't try to be hyper-spiritual and 
you know, but just, just check your heart. Just check your heart. Check your heart. And as it came time, closer for us to go, closer for us to go, closer for us to go, I just, I don't know. I just wouldn't settle. I didn't have peace about going. Just, I couldn't put my finger on it. But something bothered me about it. Now, usually, if there's nothing wrong, I never even think about it. Did you hear that? Unless there's something that God's dealing with, a lot of times I never even think about it. I just take off and go, you know. But a lot of times if it comes to me, uh, a check of some kind, and you begin to think about it, and you look at it close, and you think, well, mm, I don't know. I don't know. What's, what's the deal? Got to pray in a little bit, and we're ready to go. And I said, I said let's, just, let's just kneel down here in the living room. Let's pray a little bit. Well, it's time to go. Yeah, but let's just pray. So we prayed for several minutes. You know, 10, 20, 30 minutes, I guess. More like, more like 30, I guess. And, uh, well, I just got up and sat down. Look, you know, just we talked about some things and this and that. Because you think, well, we need to go. We need to go. Yeah, but let's just wait. Let's just wait. And the longer I sat around, the better I felt about sitting around. <laughs> and so I just didn't go. We just didn't go. Somebody said, what happened? Nothing. 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 That can be some of the most wonderful news that you ever heard. What happened? Nothing. Amen? Somebody said, what would have happened? I don't know. You know, I'm not going to try to make any predictions. I just know how to check. And I do know that I have heard too many stories of the other kind where people had a check and they didn't pay attention to it and a lot of them are not with us today. They're already going on to be with the Lord. Accident. Did you hear me? And a lot of times people don't pay attention to the, the leading of the Spirit. They get a check, but then they just make a confession. Yeah, but I'm just going to believe that God protects me and his angels uh, encamp round about me. Well, well, look, you can't go against the leading of the Spirit making a good confession. It doesn't work that way. You have to confess in line with the leading of the Spirit. Now, notice this situation here in Exodus after they came through Elam, they left again because the, cause the cloud's leading them. And the Bible said that in verse 2, that the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. What does unbelief do? Unbelief gripes and complains. That's another way of saying murmur. Have you ever complained? You know, most people do a lot more complaining than they even realize that they do. Complaining and griping is the language of doubt. Do you understand that? Oh, absolutely. I know years ago, the Lord started dealing with me about this and teaching me about this, and I didn't realize that it was the issue that it is. I didn't realize how serious a thing it was. I didn't consider myself to be just a terrible chronic complainer, and yet I was doing more complaining than I thought I was. Now, you show me a complainer, and I'll show you an unthankful person. You show me a griper, and I'll show you somebody who has forgotten what God has done for them, who has forgotten what others have done for them, and who is ungrateful and unthankful as a result. That's serious. 
Go with me over to the Psalms, if you would. Let's look at a couple of openings here real quickly. Psalm uh, 70, let's see, 78. And then also find Psalm 106. And if you still got it, hold your place in Exodus 16. Can you do all that? Psalm 78 and Psalm 106. And we'll eventually be coming back to Exodus 16. Psalm 78, beginning in verse 10. Psalm 78, verse 10. He said, They kept not the covenant of God. Talking about these same Israelites, the same first generation of Israel that we're, we've been studying. They kept not the covenant of God. Psalm 78, 10. And they refused to walk in His law. And they what? Forgot, or we'd say forgot His works. What'd they do? They forgot them. And his wonders that he had showed them. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea, and he caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand as a heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. He claved the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? This is unbelief. This is sarcasm. This is negative. Is that right? What's the answer to that? Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Yes! Well, what's the problem of asking that question? They should know he can. After all they've seen, after all they've heard, how dare them ask us a sarcastic question? How many understand there's two different ways to ask a question if you're talking about this particular thing? You can ask somebody uh, just inquisitively, well, what about this? But then you can also ask sarcastically, well, can you do it or not? Right? This latter one is the one they did, and it's called tempting God, and it's serious business. When you've seen God move for you repeatedly, and you still act and talk like that. Verse 20, Behold, he smote the rock, the waters gushed out, the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? What's the answer? Yes, 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 yes. Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. When he heard them saying things like that, it aggravated him. It made him mad. So a fire was kindled against Jacob. Anger uh, also came up against Israel because they what? They believed not in God and they trusted not in his salvation. Though he commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust, and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp and round about their habitations. So they did eat and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust, but while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. 
Now skip down to verse 40. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? We know they did it. He said, how often did they do it? We know they did it ten times before they got to Kadesh Barnea. And they did it after that, too. We just counting the ten that they did it before they got to Kadesh Barnea. Verse 41, Yea, they turned back, and they tempted God, and they what? Limited the Holy One of Israel. Verse 42, they what? They remembered not His hand, nor the day when He delivered them from, from the enemy. He goes on to describe all the plagues and all the things, all the wonders that they had seen and how they had been kept from all those things. But the Bible said they forgot, they forgot, they wouldn't believe, they didn't remember, they forgot, they forgot. Unbelief forgets. It forgets what God has said. It forgets what God has done in the past for others and for itself. And therefore, as it forgets, it's unthankful. It fails to thank God for what, his, uh, what it doesn't remember, you see. Skip on over to the 106th Psalm. Look at another instance of this. Psalm 106. Psalm 106. Verse 7. Are you there? Psalm 106, 7. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt, and they what? Remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. We've already studied that. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. Now, so we get some insight right there. Why did God save them at the Red Sea? Because they were believing him so strong? No, because they weren't believing him in at all. Why did he do it? For his reputation, you could say. And for the glory of his name. You know, God does some things just for his own name's sake. Not because people are believing him. And yet the thing is, sometimes people will walk away from situations like that with their thumbs under their lapels. You know, oh, look, we must have believed God. Look how strong. And a lot of times, God did it in spite of their gross doubt and unbelief. Just because of something he wanted to do. Now notice it went on to say, that, you know, after he did that, he rebuked the Red Sea. It split, and he redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. In verse 12, they be then believed they his words. When did they believe? After they saw it all and experienced, then they sang his praise. But verse 13, what? They soon forgot his words. How soon? Anybody been studying with me? How soon? Three days. How long a memory did they have? They remembered that God was a strong, mighty, faithful deliverer for three days. And then they forgot. When the water at Marah was bitter, they forgot all that. Just flew away from them like a bird. And they couldn't remember that God could do it. And they couldn't remember that God was faithful. All they could see is they didn't have any water to drink. And they got mad at Moses. And they griped and murmured and belly ached and complained. They waited not for his counsel. You know, they lusted, and he talks about those things. But in verse 21, what does it say? They forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. 
They forgot. They forgot. I could show you many others, but can you see that? They forgot. You know, why you think the Bible said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and what? Forget not all his benefits. You need to continually remind yourself of what God has said, of what God has done, what he's done in, in the Bible, what he's done for other people that you've heard about, and, of course, what he's done for you in days past. If you will stir yourself in remembrance, it's amazing how it will fuel your faith for today. I said if you remind yourself of what God has done for you on yesterday and last year and etc., etc., it's amazing how that stimulates your faith for the present need. Oh, it does. Oh, it does. You know, uh, uh, I was remembering concerning Jesus and the disciples. We talked about this, uh, uh, I guess, last, last week. About how that uh, the disciples, uh, they were traveling in the boat, going somewhere, and uh, Jesus came to them and said, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Remember we talked about that? And uh, they, they got upset and they, they thought, Oh, he, he's upset with us because we didn't bring any bread. And Jesus, Jesus reproved them, and he said, you know, where's your faith at? Oh, you have little faith. Why would he say something about their faith just because they got confused about it? Because of their response. And he said, don't you remember the feeding of the multitudes? Did you hear that? Why are they not operating in faith today? Because they're not remembering what he did yesterday. I believe one of the greatest weaknesses that we as human beings have is our tendency to forgetfulness. Such a weakness. That's one reason why we needed a supernatural helper. Jesus sent the comforter, and among other things, he said, he's going to teach you all things, and he's going to bring all things to your remembrance that I've said to you. But you've got to be looking his direction. You've got to be open to him, and you've got to be listening to him. And if you will, he'll remind you. He'll remind you. He'll remind you. Because the devil will always come and sit on your shoulder and say, well, this is not going to work. And if you listen to him, the devil will try to show you that it didn't work for this one. And it didn't work for that one. And so and so they failed. And so and so didn't receive. And this and that. And what's he wanting? To, he wanting you to get the picture that it doesn't work for anybody. And it's not going to work for you. Because he wants you to get discouraged, depressed, negative, sarcastic, looking back, looking down. Is that right? But he's a liar. I said he's a liar. And you ought to know better. You ought to realize that it has worked for others. It's, things have worked for you. You've received. If you don't have anywhere else to look, you got a Bible. You miracle after miracle after miracle in there. Somebody said, well, I don't know of anybody that got healed. Can you read? Can you read? We just studied 19 cases in the four Gospels just a few weeks ago. If he did it for them, he can do it for you. I said, if you'll remember what God has done, oh, how it stimulates your faith. God told them in the law, he instructed Moses to tell the children of Israel, he said, now, any time you go to war, and if you, a big host comes out against you, and they're bigger than you are, and they look stronger than you, and they got more chariots and more horses and more armies, more, more, more uh, soldiers, I should say, 
He said, don't be afraid. How many of that's not a divine suggestion? <laughs> what is that? It's a command. And that's a lot of times people say, well, uh, uh, I can't help it. I try not to be, but I can't. You believe in a lie. If God said don't, what does that mean? You cannot fear. He wouldn't tell you to do something that it's impossible for you to do. But he told them how to do it. He said, don't be afraid of them. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. But you shall well remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh, what he did to Sihon, what he did to Og, what he did. You understand? And time they get through remembering all that, glory to God, they're ready to go. Let's go. God did it for them. He'll do it for us. Can you see that? Oh, what a principle in the Word of God to stir your faith up, to stimulate yourself. Count your blessings. Look back and see what God's done for you. And then remind yourself, has God any weaker today than He was? Is He any less faithful today than He was? No, no, a thousand times no. Then get ready to see God move again. You shall well remember what the Lord your God has done and not be afraid and expect Him to do the same thing for you again and again and again and again and again. Can you say amen? I said unbelief forgets. And unbelief complains and is unthankful. I said show me a complainer and I'll show you an ungrateful person. Because if you look, you can always find something to be thankful for. You know, I gave you the illustration with a, with a flat tire. You can get out there and gripe, and you, you can get out there and you can say, Well, why did this have to happen to me? I got somewhere to be. But you look at, you know how old that tire is? That tire, I just gave X amount of dollars. And you think you pay that kind of money for a tire, you think you'd get a good tire. But do you see how that thing came apart? And look at the, what is, is that a four inch nail stuck through that thing? I mean, what Dumbo dropped that in the middle of the road? You think people would have respect for your property. You think people would care. But the way these people act around here? Now tell me the condition of that person. Unbelief. Yeah, but they got a dove sign on the back of their car. <laughs> like I said. What? Unbelief. Unbelief. If you're a griper, if you're a complainer, that indicates your unbelief. Say what you will. Philippians 2. Why don't you just turn there and look at it real quickly? It won't hurt you. <laughs> Philippians 2. Everybody said out loud, I'm not a griper. I'm not a complainer. Because I'm not a doubter. <laughs> Philippians 2, verse 14. Philippians 2, 14. What does it say? Do all things without murmurings and disputings. When's it all right to, to gripe, complain? Well, if you do all things without it, then it's never all right. Sometimes people say, yeah, but you know, sometimes you've got a right to complain. What, what verse is that you're talking about? <laughs> well, where'd you find that one? No, no. 
How many understand you never have to doubt? And complaining is an expression of doubt. So when do you have to complain? Never. You never have to complain. You don't ever have to complain. Did the Israelites complain? All the time. All the time. Every time something went wrong, did they lift up their heads and said, Praise God, He's faithful. He'll come through for us again. No. They griped. And they, they bellyached and complained. Faith gives thanks. Doubt gripes and complains. Faith is thankful. Unbelief is ungrateful. Unthankful. Because it has forgotten what God has done. You're not going to give thanks for something you've forgotten. But I understand that, that remembrance doesn't just occur automatically. You have to stir yourself up. You have to purpose to remember what God has done for you. You have to look for what God has done. Amen. If you look for the negative, you'll find the negative. If you look for the good, you'll find the good. If you seek, you'll find whatever it might be. Now go back with me to our, to our text there of our third situation in Exodus 16. Exodus 16. Verse 2. The whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to him, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. <laughs> Now, did they have any reason to, to do better than that? We've already talked about how much they had seen. How much God had done for them. Now, now we've been talking about how that doubt is unthankful and ungrateful. Can you see unthankfulness in this portion right here? You don't have to, you don't have to, don't even have to look hard. Did you notice they said, I, I wish, I wish we'd have just died back in the land of Egypt. Is that being thankful for God delivering you from slavery? No. You know, back there, we sat by the flesh pots. It was so good. We had meat to eat. And we ate bread to the full. Our stomachs were full. And they looked at Moses and they murmured against him and Aaron. They said, you brought us out here to die. Is that negative? What are we looking at here? I mean, we are looking at the personification of unbelief. Is that right? How does God think about this? What, what, what kind of feelings does he have about this? It angers him. And what he say in Numbers 14? He said, how long before they believe me? How, how much do they have to see? How much do they have to experience? Before they're going to believe me. Wonder if God's ever felt like that since then. <laughs> let's let's don't make him feel like that with us. Amen. Right? I think, I, I know I've already seen enough. 
I know I've already seen enough that I should just believe him. Sight unseen. Is that right? Well, no matter what I see or what I feel. What about you? God's already done enough for me. Answered my prayers, done things for me, done things for mine, that I shouldn't even blink an eye when he says something. I should just say, yea and amen. That's the way it is. I expect it to be that way no matter what it looks or feels like. And not yield to unbelief. But you know, the Lord told them, he said, I'm going to rain bread out of heaven for you. How many know the Lord's good? So merciful. And he said, and, and the people are going to go out and gather it at a certain rate every day. And now notice this, verse 4, and I'm going to prove them whether they'll walk in my law or no. Every day is a test day. Is that right? Testing your faith. Now this brings us to the fourth situation, which is in the same chapter that happened after this. They, of course, they're murmuring. Verse 7 says, The Lord hears your murmurings, that you murmur against the Lord. He, Moses said, What are we that you murmur against us? Verse 8, The Lord hears your murmurings, that you murmur against Him. Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. Yeah. See, they thought they were just griping against Moses and Aaron, but God took it personally. Yeah. You know, you have to watch, thinking that you're just griping about people. Because sometimes you're griping against the Lord because He's the one that, that set them there and He's the one that directed them to do what they're doing. And after all, we've already decided who led them to this place where there's no water and no food. The cloud. God did. Is that right? So why are they, why are they coming down hard on Moses and Aaron? wasn't Moses' idea. This is not His plan. It's God's plan. But it went on. Verse 9 well, let's skip down to verse 11. The Lord said, I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. And he said, speak to them at even you'll eat flesh, and in the morning you'll be filled with bread. I wonder how many of them got in faith about that and expected it. I don't think many of them did. But it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there was a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It's manna. And literally the margin says that, that they said, What is it? What is this? For they wist not what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. You know, a lot of people don't even recognize their answer when it comes. <laughs> It's true. There's a whole message right there. But verse 16, uh, they gathered. He told them to gather it, and they did. But verse 19, now here's our next faith test that they flunked. Verse 19, Moses told them, this is the command of the Lord, let no man leave of it till the morning. What does that mean? Don't try to save any of it. Eat what you need and then throw the rest out. Now, why did God tell them that? Huh? What, what is this? Faith test. See, he said, I'm going to prove them. I'm going to prove them whether, they walk in my, whether they'll walk in my law or not. He said, the bread's going to fall. You go out and gather it up, make you some bread. 
But he said, uh, what you don't use during the day, don't try to save it till the next day. Don't try to save it. Throw it out. Now, if you're out in the middle of the desert and you've got no extra food anywhere and there's no Safeway to go to and you've got some extra bread, what's the temptation? Save the bread. What God say do? Don't save the bread. What did they do? Save the bread. <laughs> is that right? What, is, what does unbelief do? There's another one for your list. What does unbelief do? Unbelief, of course, is distrustful. It doesn't trust. And therefore, it disobeys. Unbelief disobeys. Verse 20, notwithstanding, even though the Lord told them that, and they knew it, they hearkened not to Moses, but some of them left of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was wroth with them. <laughs> well, they flunked another faith test. Is that right? Boy, they're flunking them right and left, aren't they? Now, boy, you know, you could really teach a sermon here about a lot of things. For one thing, do you know that there are times, now, now you really have to rightly divide this word. I almost hesitate to say it because people can run off and get the wrong idea. But there are times when saving is doubt. Did you hear me? When God says use it, or God says give it away, and you save it, why are you saving it? Because you don't trust Him. You doubt His ability to take care of you tomorrow, or you're doubting His faithfulness to take care of you tomorrow, and you're going to have to save and take care of yourself. Now, you particularly see this when it comes to giving. Because I'm telling you, you'll experience some faith tests in the area of giving. Because there'll be times when God will deal with you, give it away. And it looks like, uh, well, yeah, but I'm going to need this tomorrow. I'm going to need this, you know, by this time. I'm, well, God's going to be God tomorrow. Huh? Have you, ever, have you ever been through one of them tests before? I have several times. Well, give this away. Yeah, but... Uh, I got this bill coming up, and I got, I got this, and I got this, and I got this. You ever been there? But I tell you, I, I've endeavored to obey God, and every time I've obeyed Him, He's never failed me, not one time. He's always brought it in. Now, you can miss God and do goofy things, but I'm talking about if God deals with you, and you obey Him, then He is the God, not just of today, He's the God of tomorrow, and He'll be faithful tomorrow. And there'll be faith tests along this line. There are times when you got something and you should use it. But because you don't have anything else to use later, you'd be tempted to think, well, no, I better not use it, you know. I'm talking about a spirit of stinginess, spirit of poverty. Now you could also get on the other side of this and talk about people being wasteful and not being good stewards. Couldn't you? 
But we're talking about, about this particular aspect of it right now. The Lord told them, don't save it. Is it just because the stuff wouldn't keep more than a day? No. Why? Well, read a little bit later. This, this is the next test that we see, the next faith test. It came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread. Two armors for one man, and all the rulers of the congregation, they came and they told Moses. They said, look, you know, we've got twice as much today. And, and he, said, he said, this is what the Lord said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you'll bake today, see that which you'll see, and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. How many know sometimes God gives you extra and says, save this for a little bit? Is that right? What you have left here, now you save it because you need it tomorrow. And they laid it up to the morning as Moses bathed, and it did not stink, and there was no worm in it. If God says, save it, and you save it, it'll be all right. If God says, give it away, use it, don't save it, and you try to save it, it's going to rot on you. It's not going to work. Somebody said, what's the solution? Do you save or you don't save? You're led. Be led. Be led, be led, be led. And it takes faith to follow the leading of the Lord. It takes faith to give it away when it looks like you need it. And it can take self-control and restraint to hold on to it when your flesh feels like running out and blowing it. Amen. And uh, so they did. And verse 25, Moses said, Eat that today, for the day, today is a Sabbath unto the Lord, and today you'll not find it in the field. Six days you gathered, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass, there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long refuse you to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days." Abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. They failed another test, didn't they? On the sixth day, when they went out and gathered, they had twice as much. But the Lord said, all right, now tomorrow, don't go out looking for it. Because there won't be any there. You just stay in your tent, rest, you know, take a day off. Just rest. But what did the people do? They got up and they went looking for manna. Just with their reasoning. Hey, there's not much food out here. We better go see if there's any out there so we can save it. They haven't got the revelation that God's their source. They haven't got the revelation that God can provide. You know, you, do you know what these stories are to just boost our faith to no end? People get upset because say, yeah, but see, you know, I don't know if, we, if God can provide for us because the economy is this and the this and this and I got a low supply on this. Listen, there, there wasn't even an economy existent in the wilderness. There was no bread to be found. But did that stop God from providing? He rained it out of the sky. Oh, dear Lord. 
if God can rain it out of the sky, then he can certainly do some things to get it in your hands in our day and an hour. And all of our worry is vain. Can you see, every one of these things are designed for them to learn faith, to learn trust, lessons here and there. God's not overwhelming them. Everything they could have done if they would have. How many remember Matthew 6? Why don't you just turn there real quickly. Matthew 6. You remember it? God's talking about not worrying about your life. Is that right? Verse 25 of Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 25, he said, Therefore I say to you, this is Jesus talking, take no thought for your life. Another translation would say, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life. We could also say, don't worry about it. What you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. See, three, see, three things there he said don't worry about. What you eat, what you drink, what you wear. How many know there'd be a lot of other things that fall in those same categories, same type of thing? Just natural things that you need. He gave some illustrations, but in verse 30, he said, If God clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? The fact that you would even begin to worry about it shows lack of faith. Verse 31, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? He said, Do, don't even take a thought about that. Don't even be the least bit concerned and anxious about that. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, the ungodly, the faithless, and your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He goes on, he keeps talking, talking about the same thing. He says, take therefore no thought for the morrow. Why did they try to save the manna? Because they're taking thought for the morrow. Is that right? Why did they disobey God and go out and try to find some on the Sabbath day? Because they're taking thought for the morrow. Or we're going to run out today, you know, and then what? And then God. That's what. And then God. I don't know about you, but th these things are helping me to anchor my soul more and more. And I tell you, I, I just purpose in my heart, I refuse to worry about where money's going to come from to pay my bills, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, how I'm going to travel, how I'm going to go. I refuse to worry about it. Because it's doubt. To worry, to get scared, to get in fear, is doubt. And I don't have to doubt. Nobody can make me doubt. The devil can't make me doubt. People can't make me doubt. Newspapers or, or reporters can't make me doubt. 
Christians with unbelieving testimonies can't make me doubt. 25 in a row can come by and say, well, I tried that and it didn't work for me. That means nothing to me. Because if God said it, I don't know what you did, but I'm going to believe and it's going to work for me. Somebody said, well, you think you're something? No, I think he's faithful. And I think he's able. Amen. And I think the thief is unbelief. And if I can believe, I can receive. Can you say amen? amen? So real quickly, let's see what else we've learned about unbelief today. First of all, we looked at the Red Sea situation. Secondly, we looked at the waters of Marah. Thirdly, we looked in, the, in Exodus 16 at this situation where they murmured against him and didn't have any bread to eat. Then fourthly, we see him fail the manna test. Is that right? We see that they kept it when they weren't supposed to keep it, and they went out and tried to gather it when they uh, weren't supposed to. We see that unbelief, uh, of course, like we've already said, is negative, it's sarcastic, it fears, it looks back, Unbelief complains. Unbelief is unthankful. Unbelief forgets what God has said and what God has done for it. Another thing we see here is that unbelief is self-willed and disobedient. It doesn't do what it's told. Because of fear and unbelief, it says, well, yeah, I know they said do that, but I might need this, and I've got to do this. Unbelief is disobedient. And you could add with that rebellious. Why would, why would you disobey? Well, they're rebelling against what God told them to do. They're going to go anyway. Can you see that? Disobedient. Well, there's a whole study right there, isn't there? But uh, are you getting a good picture of unbelief? Seeing what you shouldn't do, how you shouldn't think, how you shouldn't see, how you shouldn't operate or act or walk. It's helping me tremendously to go over these things again. It's, it's helping me. I'm just, you know, I'm getting rooted and anchored in my heart. I'm, I'm going to respond in faith every time. I made up my mind, you know, I'm, I'm going to respond in faith, not doubt. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.